0: They're poor, they're black, and nobody cares. That's the bottom line. Welcome to an all new episode of the Future Podcast, challenging the beliefs that run the world. I'm Steve Factor, and today we're going to cover the environment. First, I have a confession to make I have jungle fever. No, not the kind Spike Lee made movies about or the kind that would likely get white people canceled off the face of the earth, but the kind that actually wants jungles in America. I will explain. There was a study that said massive forest restoration could greatly slow global warming. The right trees planted in the right locations could store 205 gigatons of carbon dioxide. And people are taking this study so seriously that Paris alone is planting 20,000 trees. And there have been all kinds of other initiatives to plant trees all over the world. There's another study. Wooden cities could save billions in carbon emissions. At least 90% of new housing in urban areas should be built of wood to create timber cities. We need to go further. We need to turn everything into jungle. As someone who's grown up, and lived most of his life in New York City. There are so many depressing areas, so many blocks with no trees, no greenery, no grass, just uh, scorching heat. It is horrible, it is depressing. What we need is huge patches of grass, trees everywhere, vines. I'm talking about full-scale jungle, and we need it today. Not only will we have all of this forestry, but we have to reintroduce all of the animals from Sherwood Forest. We'll have all the woodsy creatures you like, but we also need predators. Jaguars and cougars and lions and bears, all of the animals that we thought were harmless in children's books. But... This time, they're going to serve a purpose. Imagine how much we'll save on Pilates, bar, yoga, and recreational exercise. Just to get a venti Starbucks, you have to get through a bunch of cheetahs and lions. Finally, the incentive to work out is built right in to the jungle we're in. Look at how beasts we've become. I could barely catch my breath in between recordings. We need the exercise. Everyone is going to be in shape. And we can go foraging on the weekends and hunting and do all of the things we used to do in nature and still safely, hopefully, evade the gorillas and the lions and make it to our home. And this way, we're once again part of of a real ecosystem at the small reasonable rental price of $5,000 a month, which is what it costs in New York right now on average. But just think about all of the amazing experiences we're going to have and all the money you're going to save on Netflix and Hulu and all these other streaming services. Now, all you're going to be doing is Googling survival tactics and trying to understand, well, what are the habits of cheetahs and how do I avoid getting eaten by one? This is a revolution in nature. And just when you think I'm insane... All of these environmental groups are calling for the reintroduction of jaguars into Colorado and Arizona. Uh, They want to reintroduce 90 to 150 jaguars because their domain has been greatly reduced and it's the only way to preserve the, the species and to motivate the old people in Arizona to really get up and go. Get up and go, Grandma. We shouldn't stop there. My great plan for the great indoors... You know how you go into the office and it's super dull. You have that gray carpet. Now people are barely even coming into the office. But imagine how much you'd want to come into the office if the office was all crops, was all hydroponics. We have the technology, grapes and tomatoes and fresh produce growing on the walls of the conference room. It is going to be so inspiring, so motivational. We are all both farmers and executives. That is the future. Imagine how cool it would be to have cute little monkeys. Now, I'm not suggesting jaguars or lions or tigers in the conference room. That would be crazy. That would be insane. Only a madman would suggest that. But... Little monkeys, how cute would that be? You know, they'll try to kill you, but they're so small, you just throw them off and you keep going with your presentation. Yeah, they might be trying to scalp you, but they just don't have the muscle that a huge gorilla or chimpanzee would have. Think of the fun we can have with nature. It's time to bring nature Back home, back into the cities, back into our lives. Solar panels are hideous, but a chimp running down the street in the morning while you try to get your Starbucks and evade the gorilla, that's beautiful. This is our future. Jungle fever is here, and it is spectacular. Steve Factor for president, 2024. A close adjunct to the climate narrative that the media has is materialism over maternalism. And this story in Bloomberg really highlights this narrative. The title is, Women Who Stay Single and Don't Have Kids Are Getting Richer. And the subtitle Forgoing marriage and parenthood has a bigger payoff for American women than men, according to new research. On the surface, really exciting stuff. I could be rich without kids. So let me read you a couple of passages. Single women without kids had an average of $65,000 in wealth in 2019 compared with 57000 for single child-free men, according to the Federal Reserve. And single mothers only had 7000 That means women who don't have kids are $8,000 richer than child-free men. That sounds like a great deal. So then the article starts to get more and more suspicious as you go. Parenthood was losing its appeal even before COVID-19, and the hardship brought on by the pandemic appears to have accelerated the trend. And a Pew Research Center study last year found that 44% of Americans age 18 to 49 who don't have kids say it's not too likely or not likely at all they will procreate someday, an increase of 7 percentage points from 2018. Let's focus on that demographic for a second. 18 to 49, that is a psychotic bucket because what you know ages 18 to let's say 35 about your own likelihood to procreate is gonna change a million different ways. Maybe, okay, 18 to 30, men and women. A lot of things, a lot of hormones, a lot of ideas, a lot of life situations will kick in and change your opinion in a million different ways. So the idea of bucketing 18 to 30 year olds with 40 to 49 is insanity. 40 to 49, the cake is baked. (laughs) But 18 to 26, your frontal lobe isn't even fully developed, much less your decisions about procreation. This study is nonsense. It is a joke. It is uh, a ridiculous statistic. Let's go on. Many experts point to the rising cost of raising a family as an important factor in Americans' decisions not to have offspring. The expenses are an estimated $310,605. Depending on how you do it, depending on where you live, depending on what schools you send your kids to, depending on what you feed them, there's a lot of variability here. It's not always that expensive. You can keep them in a basement with a bare minimum of uh, lettuce leaves, and I'm sure you can get that cost down pretty significantly, especially if you're doing homeschooling. Kids, let's learn about lettuce, all the different types of lettuces today. Then it goes on to uh, Melissa Carney, a professor of economics at University of Maryland, contends that cultural changes are also causing women to delay or skip motherhood. Americans who were young adults in the 90s early 2000s, grew up with a different set of norms around parenting and women having careers. That's true. People have grown up with different environments, different notions and ideas of what parenting is and whether it's something they want to do. And she goes on, it's not necessarily that people have less of a preference for kids or that it's much more expensive or time consuming. It's the way those two things are interacting for this generation versus prior ones. Okay, a little mushy, but then it goes on to talk about a woman who is the focus of this piece, Miss Marrero. Uh, she was married for four years before getting divorced in 2008. I think she's 41 or 43 years old. She enjoys an enviable degree of financial independence. She is a West Village resident who owns her own apartment, which she bought in 2019 for $900,000 and then renovated And in June, she closed on a summer home in Long Beach Island, New Jersey, with her sister, Christina. So she's a part owner in a summer home. And she's taken 10 trips in the last 12 months, often with friends from a group of about 25 people who are also largely unmarried and don't have children. I found this group so interesting and compelling and fascinating, says Anna Dixon, who recently traveled with Marrero and some other friends. All these people are so smart, so talented, put together, and they don't have kids. They're very independent. All... Good things, right? The life Marrero and Dixon have chosen does have its drawbacks. People who are single and child-free pay more in taxes and housing is a lot harder to afford on one income than two, especially with home prices and rents at record highs and mortgage rates on the rise. Another worry for those without children is who will care for them in their old age. For Dixon, the pluses of parenthood don't outweigh the minuses. I like to travel, pick up and go whenever I want to. All sounds great. This sounds like an amazing intellectual exercise, like you're making a decision on which cell phone to buy, a list of pros and cons. But then you get to the very last paragraph, the hero of this story, who is free, liberated, uh, partially owns a summer home, and owns a $900,000 apartment in the city. As for Marrero, she's still paying To store her eggs in case she changes her mind. She's paying to store her eggs in case she changes her mind. So, this whole thing was a rationalization. I'm not saying that. This article is saying it. But she's certain that even if she doesn't, she won't feel like she's missed out. Quote, if you don't have children, it may or may not be a choice, but that should have nothing to do with your happiness. You can be so happy going this route too. There's absolutely nothing wrong with choosing this, but the very fact that she is hedging her bets kind of reminds me of the intro to Idiocracy. Evolution does not necessarily reward intelligence, with no natural predators to thin the herd began to simply reward those who reproduced the most and left the intelligent to become an endangered species. Having kids is such an important decision. We're just waiting for the right time. It's not something you want to rush into, obviously. No way. Oh shit, I'm pregnant again! Shit! I got too many damn kids! Thought you was on the pill or some shit! Hell no! must have been a Brittany. No, Britney? <laughs> <Don't> you <laughs> There's no way we could have a child now. Mm-mm. Not with the market the way it is, no. No, that just wouldn't make any sense. Come on over here, bitch. He don't care about you. Yeah, well, there must be something he likes over here. mean nothing to me, baby? Oh, shit. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. Well, we finally decided to have children. And I'm not pointing fingers, but it's not going well. And this is helping. I'm just saying that before I have in vitro, maybe you should be willing uh, to- It's always me, right? Well, it's not my sperm count. <laughs> yeah! Yeah! I'm gonna fuck all of you! my boy! Ah! Ah! Cleavon is lucky to be alive. He attempted to jump a jet ski from a lake into a swimming pool and impaled his crotch on an iron gate. But thanks to recent advances in stem cell research and the fine work of doctors Krensky and Altschuler, Cleavon should regain full reproductive function. Put your hands my jug! Unfortunately, Trevor passed away from a heart attack while masturbating to produce sperm for artificial insemination. But I have some eggs frozen, so just as soon as the right guy comes along, you know. <laughs> and so it went for generations although few if any seem to notice if we're going to have a smart society going forward we need this woman procreating and i'm not saying we should force her she can live whatever life she wants but this narrative is harmful the other thing that's important to keep in mind is who the people are weaving this narrative People like AOC and and others talk about childlessness as a virtue. There's scientific consensus that the lives of children are going to be very difficult. And it does lead, I think, young people to have a legitimate question. You know, should, is it okay to still have children? It's an offshoot of the climate narrative. And you'll see it in the New York Times, you'll see it in the Washington Post, you'll see it in all the blogs like HuffPo and BuzzFeed and so on. Oftentimes, it's not with malice, but they're projecting. They're projecting their own rationalizations. They're projecting a vision of the society they want, of the good they want to represent in the world. They want to be environmentally friendly. So I'm not even holding it against them. Once people buy into a narrative, you will start to see a lot of stuff that fits that narrative. I don't think George Soros is on the phone with all these bloggers going, hey, listen, the check's in the mail. Now start uh, writing about childlessness and how great it is. But consider the source because it's a very monolithic group that goes into writing and media. They are typically single people, uh, writers who live in Brooklyn or somewhere in California. They live very self-centered lives and their narratives are isolationist. They're not communal. And I know they talk about community and all the stuff, but community starts with family. It starts with extended family. It starts with the people who want the same things for their kids and works its way outward from there. It's not this sort of universal notion. It's like, oh, we, the people of the earth. It's just not how humans work. We work in clans, we work in groups, and that's where the strong bonds are. We need to really be conscious of what is being fed to us and how much ideology has seeped into our reality. It's really pernicious and oftentimes false. And just the narrative of pitting men versus women, it's so toxic to a society. Telling people there's glory to be found in corporate boardrooms or we need to all be making the same thing. They create an artificially adversarial relationship between men and women that is not how it is that's not how it's been in history and that's not how it's going to be going forward we're so much better together as compliments than we are apart as adversaries even the positioning in the story which was to say oh well women earn this much less than men yes it's a partnership and yeah maybe this partnership has been strained over the course of uh the last several decades because I don't know lives are longer they're more complicated uh, people uh, struggle there's more divorce I get it but the idea that this is optimal, is not true. And the focus of this article, Miss Morero, admits it by her own actions. She's still hedging her bets. And I wish her the best in whatever it is that she wants to do. But I truly think that she'll probably be happier if uh, she's able to do something with those eggs. Uh, I don't mean this as any kind of a value judgment. I also held out, Till everything was perfect. And then guess what? I found out that time was no longer on my side to have kids. But I'm also uh, wise enough finally at this age to realize the errors of my ways. As a guy, I'm experiencing maybe some non-breeder's remorse, but... For women, it's a thousand times worse because guys don't have that same biological clock. We don't have those same emotional and biological urges. That's not to say every woman should do this. People should live whatever life they want. But there's only so much career can provide you. And the people preaching materialism over maternalism are pied pipers. They're misleading people, telling them that these selfish pursuits are somehow as good as or better than the biologically and emotionally satisfying thing that every living creature and every human has ever had to fulfill? That's a lie. It just is. And I'm a modern guy. I'm all for every lifestyle imaginable. As long as you're not harming anyone else, knock yourselves out. Knock yourselves up whatever you want to do. But these are lies. And we are now in this strange denial of biological roles, strengths and weaknesses that we each bring to the table that together make us stronger. It's a one plus one equals three scenario. It's not one plus one equals two. It's not just adding one income to another income and therefore you can afford a better apartment or pay a lower tax rate the way this article breaks it down. It's so much more than that. There is an emotional fulfillment. There is a biological urge and the satisfaction people get from parenting. A father provides something different than a mother does and we all have our roles. Some roles can be changed but don't expect there to be no consequences. Uh, And some roles we can't opt out of, at least until technology does something. Women can't opt out of being the child bearers. And most men can't opt out of the provider model. No one's going to support us. I'd love to get Liberace to marry me. or is he still alive? No, he's dead. But okay, let's pick an eligible gay man. Is uh, Elton John single? No, he's spoken for. But Elton John, I would love to be his concubine and have him take care of me. No such luck. I got to go out there and I got to do my own thing. That's the reality for most men. If you go into any boardroom and ask if any of those guys are happy, they're not. And if they are, it's not coming from what happens inside their boardroom. It's coming from elsewhere. And I've known so many smart career women who in their 20s were like, oh, I'm never having kids. I don't want this changed their minds, had kids, and it completely reconfigured their priorities. They're like, I can't imagine a, a life without these little munchkins and uh, having the same priorities I did in my 20s and making career number one or material possessions number one. Of course, that's anecdotal, but I think it's it, it rings true. Let's put it that way. And similarly, I know so many Others who have been distracted by the false promises of the sex in the city life, pursuing careerism, materialism instead of maternalism, and essentially being fooled that there's gold in them their hills. There isn't. They're not happy. They're not. And they're desperate. And all the forces today are against them. For example, dating apps. They just create a meat market and the same 10% of guys will probably hook up with 50 to 60% of the women on the app. Women think they're competing for the top echelon of men when in fact they're being used by them. And that's just how these algorithms work. It's become this accelerated, empty, transactional society where Not only are we chasing materialism, we have become the objects of materialism. And that is inherently an empty pursuit. The other day, I walk into Target because once you move to the suburbs, that's what you do. That's recreational. I used to play tennis, but now I just go to Target. I go to checkout and I have probably like one handcart's worth of stuff And I reach for the bags, no bags, because my state has banned plastic bags. Now I have to buy a 99 cent super durable bag. Not the first time, not the second time, but maybe the 90th time that I've gone to a store to have to buy this bag. Now, maybe I would have habituated myself to bringing bags around if I were A, a bag lady, or B, shopping every single day and every waking moment of my life, but I'm not. So you forget and you walk into the store because you wanna buy some things and there's no place to put those things. It is so incredibly frustrating and infuriating. I must have looked perfectly normal to everyone there on the self checkout line, but I was raging on the inside. Inside of me was the, this incredible Hulk. Like, I was turning green and I was destroying all the kiosks. Meanwhile, I was like, mm-hmm, like quietly putting groceries in into this 99 cent tax. It's not a bag, it's a tax. People are like, oh, this is so efficient. No, it's not efficient. We used to reuse those bags to throw out garbage, to pick up after animal poop, to do recycling, all kinds of uses for those plastic bags. Now I have to buy those bags and I have to keep buying these ridiculous bags that are super durable and extremely forgettable. Like the only innovation that we need is building legs and motors into them so they can follow you around. That's the only way they're going to be remembered. And this doesn't turn into a, an idiotic government tax. And not only am I just ranting like a psych- psychopath. But there's data to back me up. So this is uh, the study that was done. Regular plastic bags are so much better than every other type of bag. These organic cotton bags require 20,000 reuses in order to be as clean as plastic bags. Conventional cotton bags need 7,100 reuses. Composite bags, 870 reuses. Recycled PET, I don't even know what PET is, but I'm pretty sure it's not a dog. So it's not made of your actual pets, but it's some probably some sort of horrific plastic. That requires 84 reuses. Polypropylene, 52. Polypropylene woven, recycled, 45 reuses. Bleach paper, 43 reuses. Polyester, 35 reuses. Every single one of them requires so many reuses that they're going to break, explode, be forgotten, be lost, get stricken down by a vengeful God. Something is going to happen to these bags long before they're ever reused 7,100 times or 20,000 times. What we're doing is insanity. Again, under the guise of helping the environment, we've created a tax, we've created a profit margin for stores and for uh, these uh, alternate bag manufacturers. We've uh, dumped a bunch of these garbage bags, these really durable bags into people's homes. They're just taking over. Soon, we're going to have to get a second home because it's going to be filled with all the extra bags we had to buy that we forgot to bring. Or your car is just going to be full of them and your mileage is going to get worse. We're going to end up burning more environmental fuel because now we're carting around 400 bags on the back of the car that you forgot to take into the store when you went shopping. And this is the key thing here. This presents a complex decision. Plastic tends to have lower environmental impact for most metrics with the exception of its non-degradability and marine pollution. Our choice is therefore defined by the metrics we hold in highest regard, most of which involves the balancing of trade-offs. So we're making a choice to have the oceans and and marine biology to to be preferred over every other measure of environmental friendliness. And this is straight from this study. I'll link to it in the show notes. There was an article about the explosive growth of electric vehicles in China and how now 26% of all new vehicles sold are electrics. And they're like, well, this is going to have a huge impact on the environment. Uh, not exactly. It's not going to have the same impact here as it will in China for two reasons. Here, on the back end, we're still using coal. We're still using fossil fuels to power up these cars. So even though the engine is more efficient, or the the mechanism by which uh, electrics work, uh, than a combustion engine, combustion engine loses about. of the energy from the fuel that it uses. But electrics do the same thing, except 20%, 40% is lost at the factory. The other 60% is lost in transmission. So by the time it gets to the electric vehicle, you've lost as much, if not more, than you do in a combustion engine. So China, in addition to selling more electrics, is also building 150 nuclear plants over the next 15 years. Not only are they changing their front end, They're changing their back end. The back end is going to be clean in a way that it isn't here. Here, we just have the delusion of clean without the actuality of it. The other thing that we're doing wrong that they're not. So they're a newly rich society. They're just buying their first cars, most people. And their first car might as well be an electric. It's how places leapfrog Old technologies. You go to Europe or Asia, they skipped the ground line phase of development and leapfrogged right into owning cell phones and using uh, credit card terminals that work on mobile as opposed to telephone. And same thing is happening in China. A lot of people were agrarian. They're just moving into the cities now, just buying their first cars, just building infrastructure and roads. Same thing in India. So the first car is just naturally going to be the most advanced technology that's available today, which is electrics. Now, the difference between them and us is we're encouraging premature substitution. We're telling people, hey, scrap your perfectly good fuel efficient car that gets 25, 30 miles per gallon and replace it prematurely with an electric. That's the worst thing you can do. A new study of car use in Japan shows that even with Gasoline vehicles, keeping and using cars with good fuel efficiency longer could reduce CO2 emissions significantly more than an accelerated transition to alternative fuel vehicles. We're just doing this wrong. Whatever green we think we're achieving is this sort of masturbatory feel-good green. It's the same thing, you know, <laughs> I keep beating up on this company, but I hate it with a passion because it's, it, it sells a fraud. Tom's Shoes is like, hey, we give a pair of shoes for everyone you buy. And all these rich people, they're like, oh, I'm such a good person. I just gave like 20 pairs of shoes this year alone to third world countries. Meanwhile, they're dumping shoes on countries that are perfectly able to produce their own. They're sabotaging their local industry with their dumb do-gooderism. It only feels good in a superficial way as long as you shut your brain off immediately after buying those shoes. But if you start thinking for another seven seconds, you will find out you're a saboteur and not a do-gooder. Same thing we're doing with EVs. We are saboteurs and our policy is sabotaging the environment. Oh, and by the way, all these other programs that we do, like Cash for Clunkers, they don't work either. This is from City Urban Planner, Brent Todarian. He wrote, Cash for Clunkers doesn't achieve lofty green goals. It distorts the market, often hurting those who can least afford it, and it exacerbates already high prices from supply chain issues and spiking commodity prices. We're not saving the environment. We're hurting it. So unless we fix the backend, fix the transmission and also do electrics and replace them at a normal schedule, not over-incentivizing it, and we dump all the high mileage cars, that's stupid. The good news about nuclear is sanity is finally setting in. I guess we needed this spike in energy prices for everyone to wake up. They're like, oh, maybe we need fossil fuels for a while, and we need to not depend on these despots and horrible nations to do it. So Asia is already embracing nuclear power. Japan is halting its anti-nuclear policies. Korea is reversing a nuclear phase-out. China is accelerating its huge build-out in reactors. And India is moving to build more plants. And Europe is slowly starting to wake up to it. Even California, (laughs) the backwards people there. Now Gavin Newsom is putting a hold on shutting down their reactor, and he's going to provide billions in subsidies to keep it going and to make sure that people have electricity. Windmills and solar aren't gonna cut it. They're good in very select uses, but the rest is a fantasy. There is no magical fairy dust uh, to get us there. And maybe at some point, nuclear fusion will do it, or maybe some other source, but for now, it's either gonna be nuclear or fossil fuels. Another story that caught my eye is how these poor people in Mississippi are now deprived of clean drinking water. The headline in the New York Times was, Mississippi crisis highlights climate threat to drinking water nationwide. But then when you read the story, you realize that this is a product of decades of neglect. No investment in infrastructure. Every single problem these people are experiencing with not having clean drinking water can be addressed. It's not like it's some technological problem or we we don't have the resources. We don't have the will. We're not even trying. Essentially, what they're trying to do is wedge in a climate narrative when it's clearly human fault. And then they try to conflate Past weather events with what's happening there. They're mentioning storms from years and years ago. And from the Gulf Coast to the East Coast, supercharged hurricanes like Harvey and Ida now regularly debilitate water suppliers, forcing hundreds of thousands of people to boil their water or scramble for bottles days or weeks after the storms pass. That has always been the case with storms. And they're not. Presenting any data on storm frequency here. Is it any more or less than before? So they're going to have to buy their anecdotes. And they go on this is on top of the slower moving threats, such as rising sea levels that can contaminate water supplies with salt water or a Western mega drought that is withering reservoirs and parching the Colorado River that supplies water to some 40 million people. Yes. All kinds of challenges. What does that have to do with the water in Mississippi? That is addressable with infrastructure that we can build. Why is the accountability and the focus not on preparation? It's really dishonest to present things anecdotally and conflated in this way. And people would trust the solutions if we were honest about presenting the problem as well. And this is why there's so much contention over climate, because you can't start blaming everything on climate. Sometimes it's incompetence. And yes, climate may play a role, but at some point, People have to take accountability for not doing the right things, whether it's preventing the fires in California and doing controlled burns and all the other things that experts say need to be done or helping these people fix their infrastructure. Bottom line is they're poor, they're black, and nobody cares. That's the bottom line. And that's kind of the undercurrent of this Times article, but it's not really overt this is where it gets really stupid. Utility companies across Texas spent the summer coping with hundreds of water main breaks as record heat baked and shifted the drought-stricken soil surrounding pipes. This came after a bitter winter storm that plunged Texas into freezing darkness. Now, all of these events, yes, they may be more extreme because of climate change, but the underinvestment is something we can address. We have the technology, other countries are doing it. So it's not really about uh, climate per se. We should spend as much time dealing with the impacts of climate change as we are in preventing, because any preventative things we do today probably won't have a noticeable impact for at least a hundred years. But The preparatory things we can do, like uh, fixing our infrastructure and dealing with the consequences of climate change, those are things that we need to hold politicians accountable for. And one of the big problems is all of these municipalities are broke. The way America was built was it's so spread out that the amount of raw material and piping that it takes to uh, put in electricity and sewage and water and cable lines, uh, that stuff is super expensive. All these municipalities took out huge loans to put all that stuff in. They're repaying the loans and barely running services like fire, police and electricity and all the stuff that they need. There's no money to upgrade infrastructure. This is something that either the federal government has to prioritize, sort of like it found $40 billion for Ukraine. Now, I'm all for Ukraine, but if you could find $40 billion in the cushions for that, then certainly P- 150,000 Americans who are struggling with clean water can get their pipes upgraded, right? Anyway, it's really ugly, and, and this is why people distrust media, because you can't turn everything into a climate narrative. They're so desperate to, to wedge this in, and this existential mega presentation The climate is this existential threat to humanity that we must address isn't good enough the people who are advocating need to move away from this moralistic stance because it's the same argument as God or anything else that's moral that you may or may not believe in and move it towards Pragmatic, saying, okay, here are the things that we can help eliminate. Is it dirty water? Is it heat in the cities? Is it pollution of the air? Those are the things people experience, and that's how you get them to prioritize it above other things. Because the people who are championing these issues are rich, are well off. They don't have problems like the people who don't prioritize it and being angry at people who are just struggling to get by for not making this a priority. Is elitist and insulting? The elitists it's their job to bring the business case to the people and make it worth their while. What is in it for them? And once people know, oh, we're going to have cleaner parks, we're going to have better drinking water, we're going to have cleaner air, then it's tangible. And those investments can be justified instead of this mega sacrifice that we're all looking to make. Why don't we just throw a virgin in the volcano? while we're at it. This is just a quick update on, I've done all these uh, Ukraine-Russia episodes. This headline caught my eye. Lukoil, which is uh, Russia's biggest private oil company, which has called for an end to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Top executive dies after reportedly falling through a hospital window. Look, a lot of these Russian oligarchs Are very clumsy. Uh, They are like Mr. Bean or Benny Hill. They just can't seem to stay inside of buildings. They want to be outside of buildings. And sometimes, even on a high floor, they're like, I I just can't be inside anymore. And they don't want to wait for the elevator. They're like, listen, I got to go. And they just jump out the window. And no one understands why, but it's just really unfortunate that these guys are so clumsy. And by the way, just a quick reminder that on January 1st, 2021, Vladimir Putin was elevated to the United Nations Human Rights Council, joining Xi Jinping and Nicolas Maduro. And just to honor these two completely unrelated stories, I'm going to play a little bit of that induction ceremony of Vladimir Putin that I'm sure you will appreciate. That's it for this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget, share it with others. Sign up on patreon.com forward slash McFuture to support the show. And I will see you next week on The McFuture.